this morning, Lord God. Father, I pray, God, that you speak to us, Lord God. Speak through me right now in the name of Jesus. The name that's above every name. Lord, by your spirit, use me as a clear channel of your word, Lord God. That the hidden treasure would be poured out, God. That mysteries would be revealed that are hidden for us and not from us, Lord God. Let your word go out on the wings of the anointing, the yoke destroying, burn removing power of God. In the name of Jesus, your Christ, we pray. Amen. Praise God. Now the Bible tells us both in the Old and New Testament of our need to pray. First Chronicles 16 and 1, 16 and 11 says this. You don't have to go there, but write it down if you want. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face evermore. Second Chronicles 7 14 says this if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and then turn from their wicked ways then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land Jeremiah 29 12 and 13 says then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Jeremiah 33 and 3 says this, call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Amen. Mark eleven twenty four says this. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Philippians chapter four verse six says this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then the last scripture I'm going to use today on this part of it is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 through 18, which says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ for you. So as you can see from these two scriptures, and there are literally hundreds of more scriptures. Prayer is important to God. Yes. But my question for you is, what do you do when God does not answer your prayer or prayers the way you want him to? Hmm? What do you do? When God does not answer you in the way you want him to. It's not about God answering prayers, because God answers all prayers, but it's about God, but it's about what do you do when he answers you 
in a way that you do not like. Amen? Now, let me say this. It doesn't matter how deeply you love God, how deep your faith is, or how much, or how hard, or how long you pray, sometimes our prayers just flat out don't get the answers that we want. I'm a living witness of that. I am not of the school that says when I pray, I get everything I want. Because my experience has taught me that I pray for things and it didn't come to pass, but at the time or in that moment, I didn't know how to react properly in some instances. Amen. Who's got the t-shirt? I don't know. I do. Amen. But I want you to beat yourself up, though. Okay? Because we are in very good company. Okay. In Luke chapter 22, verse 42, in the New King James, Jesus says, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus was praying to be rescued from the humiliation, the torture, and most of all, the separation from God, his Father, that the cross would bring. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But glory to God. <laughs> His father didn't answer the prayer in the way that he, he liked, right? Amen. Because as the story goes, Jesus went to that old rugged cross and he did die for us. Right. Remember it says, God, God has a will. The Bible which is God's will in print, speaks of his will from more than one perspective. Speak of his will from more than one perspective. The first perspective is this. The Bible teaches and speaks of God's sovereign will. And I've been talking about that for, for a long time, or you know, over and over, how God is sovereign. Yeah. Ephesians 11 says, that God is the one who works all things according to the counsel of his will. The counsel of his will is his eternal and unchangeable plan. God rules and controls all his creation, including human affairs. Because he is sovereign and he sits on the throne as the Lord of the universe. Yes. Amen? Amen? Now, everything that happens comes about because he either directly causes it or he permits it to occur. Yes. 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 Good. I'm going to leave that there for a second. Yes. Everything happens because he either causes it or he permits it. Nothing gets around God that happens to us. Right. Amen. Amen. Nothing enters history or could ever exist outside of history that does not come under God's absolute control. Let me say that again. Nothing enters history or could ever exist outside of history that does not come under God's absolute control. Amen. Even though it looks chaotic in the world right now, very chaotic, 
It's about the purpose of God in the chaos. And for us as believers to look through the chaos and realize that Jesus is coming back. And the Bible speaks expressly that there would be chaos. There would be a spirit of delusion. There would be a falling away. There would be evil and perilous times in the last days. And if you don't know it, you ought to know it now that we are in those days. But God is in absolute control of it because they're serving a greater purpose. God is separating the sheep from the goat right now. The believer from the unbeliever right now. The sage from the unsaved right now. He's separating those who talk a good game but don't walk a good game. Right now. Amen. Job 14 2 says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. So God has, God is sovereign and He has a will. The second perspective is this. It speak, the Bible speaks and teaches of people doing God's will. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 4 says, God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Mm -hmm. Alright? John 3.16 says what? Well, <laughs> Say what? For God so what? That he did what? That what? Should not perish, but have everlasting life. And as we learned on Wednesday, you can't grow spiritually without being saved. Amen? God not only desires his people to be saved, but he wants us to be obedient to what he commands. In fact, Jesus left this earth with the challenge to believers in Matthew chapter 28, 19 and 20, 19 and 20, which says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, yeah. baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Yeah. Or as I, as, or as our mission statement says, we are to transform believers into disciples and then add on to it, that make disciples who make disciples. Amen. Amen. God, the third perspective is the Bible teaches and speaks of God's will for our individual lives. Some of, the, some of his desires are universal, and as I said earlier in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ for you. And then God has a unique will for a, a groups of people like he did with Israel. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. And he said in Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. And then in Acts chapter 16, verses 9 through 10, God gave Paul the vision to travel to a specific area to share the gospel, which says, And the vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. 
Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. I said that one to say this. If God has called you to go minister the gospel somewhere, right. you go and minister the gospel somewhere. Right. Don't argue, debate about it, but be sure that God has sent you. Amen? Because C.S. Lewis said it this way, God intends to give us what we need, not what we now want. Amen. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so with that in mind, it brings me back to the question. What do you do when God doesn't answer your prayer or prayers the way you want him to? The next person that we're going to talk about or keep company with is in 2 Samuel chapter 12. When God doesn't answer our prayer the way we want it to. And this is David. The books of 1 and 2 Samuel are named for the prophet who appears in 1 Samuel and who anointed both Saul and David as king. Now back in the ancient world, kings had control over the records of their reign so they could suppress their failures. So in other words, the king had the power to ban books. <laughs> okay. <laughs> However, this was not the case in, 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 in 2 Samuel. Because God, the Holy Spirit, inspired the writer to write this, uh, to, to write this failure, if you will, of David. Amen. So let's, 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 let's talk about a little bit of overview, because I don't want to read all of it, but I want to talk about chapter 11 and how it began. Okay. Chapter 11, it does start off telling us that in the spring, all the kings would go out to battle, and David sent all his men with them, and, and they destroyed Ammon and took Rabbi, but David stayed in Jerusalem. Okay. That's what the scripture said. you got to be careful. To make sure you stay in your God-given position. Because David should have been with all the rest of them. Yeah. Leading the charge. But David stayed back in the cup. Okay. Amen. So one evening, David got out of his bed and took a walk on the roof where he saw Bathsheba taking a bath. The Bible says... The woman was very beautiful to behold, or in other words, she was fine. <laughs> the Bible says David found out who she was, and he sent messengers for her, and they brought her to David, and he lay with her and then sent her back home. <laughs> but later she sent word back to David, letting him know that she had gotten pregnant. Which is bad, but I forgot to tell you that she was married, and her husband, who was by the name of Uriah, was a soldier who was fighting for the king. So when David found out who Uriah was, he sent for him and had a conversation with him with an ulterior motive in the making, or in his mind. Because he knew Uriah had been gone for quite some time. So he brought Uriah home thinking that Uriah would go back to his house to be with his wife 
But Uriah did not go back to his house and be with his wife. He stayed down on the front step of the, of the palace and went to sleep with everybody else. Right. Hmm. So David's peeps told him that Uriah didn't go home. <laughs> so David asked Uriah why. And Uriah said the ark, which is totally, I mean, he gave some really good answers. Because Uriah was being honest. Uriah said the ark, Israel, and Judah are living in tents. And Joab and his servants are in camp in open fields. And you want me to go home and lay up with my wife? <laughs> Uriah had integrity. Right? And Uriah said this. As you live and as, as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. And, and it's, as long as you live, King, I am not going home to be with my wife. Because all the other soldiers are out there. Why should I get this privilege to go and be with my wife? So David told him to wait there and had to send back for him on the next day. But Uriah ended up staying a couple of days because David took an extra, extra time. And, um, uh, and, and, and David called him back and then they parted. In David's mind, he said, I'll get him drunk. And if I get him drunk, right. he don't go back and lay with his wife. But when the time to go to bed, Uriah did not go back and lay with his wife. So the deeper David got in his sin, the more devious he got. Mm -hmm. So David wrote a letter, and he gave that letter to Uriah to take out to Joab. And in the letter, and Uriah must not have looked at it on the way, because <laughs> it probably was sealed. Uriah didn't look at it on the way, but the letter told Joab to send Uriah out there on the front line because David knew that if he went out on the front line, line chances are Uriah would be killed. And guess what happened? Uriah was killed. And Bathsheba mourned the loss of her husband. This event illustrates the sequence described in James chapter 1, verses 13, which is desire, enticement, sin, which leads to death. David thought he was good because when her mourning was over, he sent for her and brought her to his house. And she became his wife, and then she had the son. However, if you look at verse number 11, number 12, no, verse number, chapter 11, verse number 27 at the bottom, it said, the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Because even though David thought he got over, <laughs> that thing displeased the Lord. And so look at verse number, chapter 12, verse number 1, it says, And the Lord sent Nathan, who was a prophet, unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. Verse 2 says, The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewing lamb, which he bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and his children, so it became a part of this man's family. 
and it ate out of the man's plate and drank out of the man's cup and it laid on the man and it was unto him like a dart. Then if you go on through the story, it reads that somebody, a traveler came through. And so uh, as a result, they, they want to feed the traveler. But I mean, yeah, the, the rich man wanted to feed the traveler. But instead of the rich man taking from his own many flocks, yeah, okay. the rich man took the poor man's little lamb. I ain't bothering nobody. But why do they always want to take from the poor people? I'm not getting the same what I'm saying. Amen. And so it goes on, and, 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 and then David gets all upset and mad, talking about this man is going to be killed, and, and he's going to have to pay back this, pay back the more. And then Nathan the prophet said, David, that's you. <laughs> you are the man that did that. Verse 7, and that's in verse number 7. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man, thus said the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. Verse 8 says, And I gave thee thy master's house, and thy master's wives into thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if it had been too little, I would have moreover have given unto thee such and such things or more. Right? And then verse 9 says, Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and hast taken his wife to be thy wife, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. So David's sin caused somebody else to kill somebody else's husband. What you do affects others. You may think you're doing it to and for yourself, but what you do affects others. Hmm. But I don't want to focus on David's sin and what the Lord ended up doing to him because her source is for what for thou didest secretly, but I will do the thing before all Israel, meaning the punishment. Mm -hmm. And then verse 13 says, And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Mm -hmm. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away your sin, but you shall not die. Mm. But how be it? Mm. Mm. Because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto you shall surely die. So David, you won't die. But you're going to probably wish you, gonna, wish you was dead after everything that's going to happen to you and your family. However, the child that you... Uh, then uh, had illegitimately is going to die. And verse 15 says, And Nathan departed unto his house, and the Lord struck the child or sent a deadly illness mm -hmm. to that 
Here it is in the scripture. The Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife. Yeah. Notice David took her as his wife. Mm -hmm. But the scripture says this is Uriah's wife. Yeah. Very important to point out. Bear unto David, and it was very sick. David therefore besought God for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night upon the earth. So even though he heard the prophetic word from Nathan the prophet, even though he found out that the child was going to die and the child was very sick, David still prayed. Hmm? Verse 17 says, And the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the earth. But David would not get up. Okay. Neither did he eat bread. He wouldn't eat. He wouldn't get up. He wouldn't eat. And then, and then, and, and it came to pass that on the seventh day that the child did what? Die. And the servants of David feared to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spake unto him, and he would not hearken or listen to our voice. How will he then vex himself if we tell him that the child is dead? Verse 19 says, But when David saw that his servants whispered, David perceived or realized that the child was dead. Therefore David said unto his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. Now check out what David did. And God didn't answer him the way he might. Verse 20 says, Then David did what? Arose from the earth, and he washed, and he anointed himself. He changed his apparel, and he came into the house of the Lord, and he did what? Worshipped. And when he came to it, back to his own house, and when he inquired, they set bread before him, and he did eat. So David picked himself up. He washed himself up. He anointed himself with lotion. <laughs> and he changed his clothes. He went to the house of God. He did not turn away from God. Even though he was devastated. And he didn't get what he had prayed for. He didn't turn away from God. Because back in that time. Remember it's the Old Testament. And the Holy Spirit didn't dwell within everyone. So you had to go to the temple. In order to get with the Holy Spirit. Right? And he worshipped. Worship means this. It means using your mind, your heart, and body to express the worth of God and all he is for you in Jesus. And then he went back home and ate. He did not feed his flesh first. He fed, he fed his spirit first. Then he went home to feed his flesh. The principle is when God doesn't answer you the way you like, don't feed the flesh first. Go feed your spirit first. Amen? Now, as believers, we need to go to from what do we do to what we need to remember to do when God doesn't answer our prayers in the way we want to. You need to remember this, that God is for you. Yes. Yes. God is for you. When the prayers don't get answered the way you like, mm -hmm. 
to remember that God is for you. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. Y'all probably already know it. Verse 31. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. God is for you. Say, God is for me. Even when he answers my prayer in a way that I don't like. God is for me. It says this. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Another translation says, if God is for us, who can ever be against us? The things are the dozen of amazing proofs of God's unfailing love listed in the previous section. I'll give you a couple examples. In verse number one, it says, There in chapter eight, there is therefore now no condemnation, condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. What would the words not guilty let him let them go free mean if you were on death row? The fact of the matter is the whole human race is on death row. Why? Because we are justly condemned for repeatedly breaking God's holy law. But without Jesus, we wouldn't have any hope. So because we have Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation. Why? To those who are what? In Christ Jesus. God has declared us not guilty and has offered us freedom from sin and the power to do his will and gave us the power to do his will. And then Romans 8, 28, which I read earlier, says what? It said, and we know that all things, what? For good to them, as it is, to them that what? Love God. To them who are called according to what? You need to remember that God works in everything, not just isolated in events for your good. Even the bad things. Hmm? Now, he is a good, good father. But that doesn't mean everything that happens to you is good. Right? right? Because evil is prevalent in this world. But God is able to turn every circumstances, every circumstance for your good. God is not working to make you happy. He is working to fulfill his purpose, and this promise is not for everybody. That's why I pointed out those and them. Amen. Me and you, if you're a believer. Amen. As we learned Wednesday, when you are truly saved, you have a new heart, not just a patched up bypassed former heart. And when you have a new heart, that means you will have a new mindset. Old things have passed away and behold, all things become new. 
You get a new heart, not a bypass heart. Not a rehabilitated heart. But a regenerated heart. Amen. And when you have a new mindset, you will know that God is for you in the sense of this. You know that he is on your side. No matter what. And he is working on your behalf for your good, even though you can't see it right now. And when you have that mindset, then who can be against you becomes rhetorical because there is no one who could possibly be more powerful than God or no one can destroy you. So don't get me wrong, though. You will face opposition. However, the opposition is doomed to fail. They may be against you, but they will not be successful at being against you. They may look like they're winning. And it may feel like they're winning. It may seem like they're winning. But God is working it out for your good because you love him. And it's according to his purpose for his people. Amen. So you need to stop believing and feeding the lies of the devil over the truth of God. If God is for you, who can be against you? Say, God is for me. God is for me. God is for me. God is for me. Number two, God will never leave you or forsake you. Stuff we say all the time, but we take it haphazardly. God will never leave you or forsake you. Let's go to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. And it says this. Let your conversation be without covetousness mm -hmm. and be content with such things as you have. Yes. For he hath said, I will never what? Leave thee. Or what? Forsake thee. Forsake thee. Amen. In a world that is constantly changing and where people are constantly leaving, in a family, a relationship, or even through the vehicle of death, God's promise of never leaving is both comforting and encouraging. Even though they leave you and people have left you, one thing you can count on is God not doing that. Because he will never, what, leave you or forsake you, which means abandon. Once you are his, God will never abandon you. You will never be alone. This promise was first given to Israel and Joshua before entering the promised land in Deuteronomy 31 and 6. And then Moses encouraged Joshua by reminding him as a succeeding leader Succeeding leader in Deuteronomy 31 8, which says, And the Lord, He is the one who goes before you, and He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. And the reason why Moses said that to him was that, remember, they sent out spies, and they were talking about giants was all in the land. And the task that Joshua had seemed impossible, right? But the Bible tells us with God, all things are possible. 
Then there's a song that says, have you any rivers that seem uncrossable? And have you any mountain that you cannot tunnel through? God specializes in things thought impossible, and he will do what no other, no other holy power can do. So whatever you are facing, God specializes on the tough assignments. Hmm? And because you've got him with you, and you know that he will never leave you, you are not in that task by yourself. So you don't have to get through whatever it is alone. Because even in the mess, God is there with you. Even in the fire, God is there with you. Even in the sickness, God is there with you. Even in the struggle, God is there with you. Even in the confusion, God is there with you. Even in the fiery furnace heated up seven times, God is in there with you. And he will never leave you. And he will never forsake you. So quit letting the devil tell you that you are by yourself. And the bottom line is this. It's an eternal promise. It goes throughout eternity. He's with you in history. And he'll be with you outside of history. Yes. <laughs> he will never leave you in history or forsake you in history and he will never leave you or forsake you in eternity as long as you are a believer hallelujah 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 you need to remember these things when you go on, when you get an answer that you don't like thank you master that he's for you that he will never leave you nor forsake you. Yes. And I say this too a lot. Number three is God loves you. Yes. I think it gets said so much that it becomes common. And then we discount the fact that God loves us. It does not mean as much. Let's go to First John. Chapter 4. See, when David did what he did, he didn't have the New Testament to rely on. All he had was, no, not all. What he had was his relationship with God based on a past experience. That's right. That's right. Amen. <laughs> Remember, God loves you. First John. Verse 4, in chapter 4 and verse 8, it says, He that loveth not knoweth not God. Why? For God is love. And drop down to verse number 16, it says, And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is what? Love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God. And the key part is God dwells in him or lives in him or them. Thank you. Believe is more, when you believe that God loves you, it's more than intellectual agreement. Yes. Yes. How do you show that you know that God loves you? It means you put your present plans and your eternal destiny in his hands. Yes. Well, you, yes. 
He dwells in you and you dwell in him. He lives in you and you live in him. So it's more than intellectual agreement. God just, remember I wrote this down. God doesn't just love you. He is love. What does that mean? His nature and essence are love. Love permeates his very being and it infuses all his other attributes, even his wrath and anger. Even when God is mad at you, he still loves you. And because his very nature is love, he must demonstrate his love. <laughs> Just like anything other attribute that he displays, God has to demonstrate his love. Amen? God's love, well, I don't want to miss this part, or I'll mess, I'll mess up. Because of his, his very nature of love, he must demonstrate love just as he must demonstrate all his attributes because doing so glorifies him. He has to demonstrate his love because it glorifies him. And as I said last week, God is so passionate about his glory, he will not share it with anyone, even himself. Glorifying God is the highest, the best, the most noble of all acts. So naturally glorifying himself is what he must do because he is the highest and best and he deserves all the glory. Mm -hmm. So we need to make what we sang this morning for your glory. I would do anything just to see you and behold you as my own. Amen? Amen. Since it's God's essential nature of love, he demonstrates that love by lavishing it upon undeserving people. Hmm? And his love is not sappy, sentimental, or, it's a, or not a romantic feeling. God's love is not sappy or sentimental, or it's, it's not a romantic feeling. His love is a agape love, the love of self-sacrificing. And as a believer, God's love for you is personal. He personally loves you. He loves all of us. But God's love is also personal. It's individual. Amen? His is a mighty love that has no beginning or no ending. Even if you turn away from him, his love won't stop. God can't help but love you because he is love. He don't have to become love. He don't have to fall in love because God is love. So even when you turn against him, he still loves you. The question is, why does he love you? Hmm. I'll tell, tell you why. Because that's who he is. That's right. <laughs> can't be, he can't be nothing different than who he is. He don't put on a front or a mask. He's not a hypocrite. God is who he is and who he says he is. And guess what? The bottom line is this. He knows what's best for you. Yes. Hmm? 
even though you might not see it at the time. Because if you think about it, if that baby would have lived that David and Bathsheba had, remember the prophet said your family would be cursed. Think about it. That means that baby stood the chance of being cursed. But God in his love for that baby did not allow that baby to be born into history. He kept that baby in eternity. Yeah. 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 And, the, and he went on, huh? And the And that lineage through that baby. Think about it. And he kept the lineage of Christ pure. Because after that, they did have a son. You might recognize his name as Solomon. And without Solomon, we wouldn't have the proper. He was the richest, the wisest man to have ever lived. Hmm. What looked bad turned out to be good. Amen. Amen. So when God doesn't answer your prayer or prayers the way you like him to, you need to remember that he is for you. That he will never leave you or forsake you. And that he loves you. Even though it might hurt. Hmm. Amen.